0: Welcome to episode 96 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse.
1: And I'm Tony. And we're proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother.
0: Hey, brother. What's going on?
1: Not much, not much. The heat wave finally broke, so I can uh, sit in here and podcast without risking dehydration and kidney failure, which is always great. So, <laughs> Whoever make,
0: said that podcasting wasn't potentially harmful I to know. your health.
1: Make sure you're drinking two liters of water a day out there, folks.
0: So is that what you're affirming this week then? Just that the heat no, is that, over?
1: No, that's a freebie.
0: <laughs> Extra value. This was definitely worth the cost of admission, which again, yeah. is zero. Zero. So, so what are you affirming this week?
1: I am affirming uh, Reformed Forum is an awesome podcast network. They're kind of the original podcast network um, for Reformed Theology. And one of their uh, old classic shows is back, and it's called Proclaiming Christ. And basically what it is, is it's like a panel discussion with um, four, three or four pastors, and they basically just walk through a text. And sort of exposit the text on the go and make commentary on like how they would preach this text or how they might apply this text to a congregation. So for preachers, it's very helpful because then you're kind of hearing. Um, it sort of serves that same purpose like the old Puritan prophesying conferences would, where they would get all together and they would they would everybody would preach a sermon and then they would kind of critique each other's sermons. It sort of fills that same niche because it it gives you a chance to sort of hear seasoned pastors to various degrees talking about how they would preach a given text. Um, and it's a great show. It's, it's some of their regular um, panelists and then some people that you probably haven't heard of or heard from before. So it's just a great show and it's back. They did two new episodes um, on Genesis, kind of on the sign of the covenant and Ishmael, and it's just a really good show.
0: Reform Forum is the OG.
1: They are, yeah. Of
0: Ref Podcasting.
1: Yeah, they really are. I mean, they were the first kind of like like two or three guys sitting around really talking theology podcast. Um, so it's it's great. I'm glad that that shows back. Um, they do Voss Group, which is awesome. Um, Crisis Center has been sort of techni- more technical than usual lately, so I know a lot of people are kind of getting a little worn out with that, but Proclaiming Christ is just a good fresh breath of air. It's not super technical, but it's just really good content.
0: That podcast too, for those who are just lay people in the church or lay leaders, it's kind of like getting to see how the sausage is made a little yeah. bit in preaching, which is kind of fun.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. It lets you see the recipe a little bit and see how they yeah. kind of like pull apart particular elements. And it hasn't happened in the last couple ones, but sometimes there'll be disagreements about like, well, I don't know if that's a legitimate use of that text. So it's it's a real, it's an actual discussion. It's not quite as scripted as some of the other stuff on Reform Forum. Sometimes feels um it's a lot more organic which is great
0: and for anybody that wants to be better able at exegeting the scriptures it just kind of gets you into the right rhythm it gives you some context and ways for how these guys who are really good at what they do yeah it gives you kind of a thought pattern a template to kind of follow and that's always been helpful for me
1: yeah what about you what are you affirming
0: my affirmation can be summed up in three words are you ready for this let's do it cowboy monkey rodeo okay are you familiar with this? I am not. So I was at a minor league baseball game this past week, and they had this kind of this special act because minor league games have a lot of extraneous kind of events that happen during the game. They once a year have this guy come. I think he's from like Mississippi, and what he, he has his whole kind of performance where he has he brings goats to the ballpark. He has shepherding or herding dogs. Okay. and he puts monkeys on the dogs that are dressed like cowboys and they ride on the dogs in little saddles all That's over the place.
1: Pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> it is one of the best things I've ever seen. It's awesome.
1: So I looked up cowboy monkey rodeo on Google and the first result is from NPR. And it says that cowboy monkey rodeo puts <laughs> animals this. at risk, activists say. And to that, I say, just let people have fun.
0: Okay, so this is—I don't know if this falls within the scope of the Genesis narrative, but I do feel like this is a little bit of like you know subduing, yeah, creation, yeah. If you, you know, can, have,
1: if we can make a monkey ride a dog and herd goats, I mean that's that's dominion right there.
0: Yeah, it's it's serious dominion. And here's the thing I would say in response to that article: these monkeys, one, they seemed. To be loving it and why wouldn't they because they're getting to ride dogs around but the second thing is the dude who was the one overseeing this whose monkeys they were he was at least the way he presented himself one amazing and two one of the things he said was i am i just love thank you for coming out i'm so glad to be here he's like i'm just living the dream as a little boy all i wanted to have was a monkey so everybody's (laughs) like all right like so he seemed like he cared so much for these animals. It was amazing. So if you ever get the chance to go see a cowboy monkey radio, rodeo, I cannot affirm that enough. Go and do that thing.
1: Yeah. Here, here's a quote by Erica Flurry, who is the program director of the <laughs> North American Primate Sanctuary Alliance. Let's hear this. She said by email, quote, monkey rodeos are nothing more than star spangled animal abuse. What is most cruel is the force necessary to make the rodeos possible. Monkeys are normally inquisitive and independent. It is highly unnatural for them to be dressed in clothes and strapped to the back of another animal. And for what, a few minutes of base entertainment? These monkeys have no choice but to literally go along for the terrifying ride. You know, just, just stop. Just stop. I'm sure the monkeys are
0: fine. This wasn't my experience, honestly. The monkeys Uh, are fine. They seemed like everything was great, and I don't know. The guy was even like, "Thanks so much for cheering." I'm telling you, these animals hear it. Trust me. Yeah, I don't know Uh, how does he know that, but uh, yeah. But either way, it was really fun. It seemed very harmless, and you could tell this guy really loved these animals. So I can't imagine he would subject them to any harm because you could tell he's really in love with them. But super entertaining so fun to watch so super interesting like i don't know if you've ever seen animals get herded by other animals but this was incredible like the dogs were so well trained they knew what they were doing it was like they were like taking on like napoleonic war strategy in terms of how they were flanking and approaching all these animals. It was something to behold.
1: Yeah, I went and saw a sheepdog demonstration. It's pretty amazing what they can do. And all of it, I mean, we, we kind of joke about like this being taking dominion, but it really is. Like what sheepdog herding really is, is taking that animal's natural predatory instinct and combining it with the sheep's natural defense instincts and reorienting them and using those as tools to protect those sheep. So the way right. that the, the, what the dog is actually doing is hunting the animals on command. And so the sheep are avoiding the hunting animal, but neither one of them are ever in any danger. It's a way to actually like reorient those natural instincts. It's, it's actually quite amazing what they can do with, with a well-trained dog. Our dog, on the other hand, I'm lucky if I can get her not to poop on the carpet. So <laughs> I have failed at taking dominion over our Westie, but.
0: Get on that. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. It's it was amazing, though. And you're right. It's Dominion all around because all the animals are trained, obviously, to do something. But it seems like they're trained within within the confines of something that they're actually comfortable doing. Yeah. Yeah. It was impressive. So what are you denying this week?
1: Well, other than the crazy uh, animal director from the North American Primate Sanctuary Alliance, uh, I am denying deer flies. So Ashley and I were out walking said Westy, the other night and the dog was not walking well. She was kind of wanting to sniff and stuff. And we were literally getting like swarmed by deer flies. And at one point I, I hit one and I like smash it against my arm. And I swear, I swear that I saw it just stand there and like shake off a little bit. Like it was a, a dog that was like, like had just gotten out of the lake. It just stood there and shook off and then just kept like biting into my arm. And I was like, what is have we created some sort of super deer fly? They're just like the worst the worst animal on the planet because they don't serve, as far as I can tell, they don't serve any real purpose except to just annoy the crap out of me.
0: So people who have not experienced this or don't live in another part of the country where they don't have deer flies are probably thinking that we're just being babies about this. However, deer flies are the kind of insect that can bite through a sweatshirt. Yeah. And you will feel it, and they will. It's basically like... I think the deer fly motto is if you want some, come and get some.
1: Yeah, and the weirdest thing is they're not they're not actually trying to eat you or like suck your blood. It's not like a mosquito. They're just biting you because they're mean. They're just right. mean little animals. And they're like just I bullies said, with wings. I smacked one, I smashed it on my arm and it just stood there and kept biting me. It like
0: didn't even care. Yeah, they're treacherous. They're crazy.
1: Yeah. I'm having flashbacks, so we should move on to your denial. What are you denying? <laughs>
0: I'm also just going to do a little bit of complaining then. I'm just denying against humidity. So I've never lived in a part of the world where there wasn't some amount of humidity. I hear dry heat is hot, but dry. And <laughs> at this point, it seems like that's what I would really enjoy. Because I don't know where, how, where everybody else lives, but this past couple of weeks... It's basically been like living in a gelatinous mass yeah. and it's disgusting. Like the inside of a dog's mouth.
1: Yeah. I I like to, I walk outside and am like, man, this is like a stinky armpit. Yeah. That's, it's like you walk outside and it's like shoving your face in some bodybuilder's armpit that's been lifting for an hour.
0: Yeah. The only thing that's brought me a little bit of relief by way of comparison is... This week, I've been looking a little bit at the story of Jonah, and I was just thinking, man, it's got to be humid in the stomach of a great fish. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's gross. So He was all like wrapped up in seaweed and stuff. For what that's worth. Yeah.
0: Yeah, craziness. So that's basically what I'm
1: denying. So speaking of the Lord's discipline, what are we talking about tonight?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like our segues keep getting better. Yes. All the time. So what that are we so, talking about? So subtle. I know. We're actually talking about some church discipline tonight.
1: We are. So I'm going to name some names but people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> Call actually, you out, I podcast. actually am going to name some names, but not, not in the way that that sounded like. So there's been um, over the last, I don't know, like two years, maybe three years. Let, let's just step back and be honest for a second. It's sure. been a rough time for the reform community in terms of like high profile scandals for sure. Um, and maybe I just wasn't aware of them before that, but it didn't it really felt like there wasn't much in that way before that. Like I had never heard of like a high profile scandal in the reformed calvinist community really. Um and then all of a sudden it seems like over the last 2 or 3 years there was like right one night after another. So we had Mark Driscoll and the implosion of Mars Hill and all of the the nonsense and craziness that happened there. And he had been right. causing problems for you know, a year, two years, years before that. We had Tulian Tavidian, um, and we're going to talk more in depth about Tulian later in the show. We had um, R.C. Sproul Jr. had all sorts of issues. Um, I won't go into that because it seems like he has submitted to Church Discipline and is getting the help he needs. And then most recently, we had Art Azurdia, who's not really well known in the Reformed world, but the people that followed him and were impacted by him were really, really impacted by him. Um, Right. And and if you haven't read, um, basically, he uh, someone came forward in his church, a woman came forward in his church and uh, accused him of an inappropriate relationship. And when he was confronted on that, he confessed to having an extramarital affair with this woman and then also confessed to another prior extramarital affair. Um, So he's been removed from his leadership. Uh, In that church, um, I I don't want to say anything more about him because it's still yet to be seen whether or not he is actually submitting to church discipline, and we'll we'll get into all of that. But I thought that it would be a good idea for us to take tonight's episode and really kind of unpack what church discipline is, why it's important, and kind of what the theological underpinnings of it are. And I think from that we'll have some sort of practical outflows about what it how it is that Christians are to act towards those who have been disciplined by the church and especially towards some of these high-profile celebrity pastors, celebrity Christians who, um, when they fall, they fall in these spectacular public manners. Um, And and then most recently, besides the Art Azurdia thing, Tullian is now being contracted by Fortress Press to republish his book, uh, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Um, And so he's rewriting the intro to now incorporate um, all of the – Stuff he's quote unquote learned in the last three years since um, he cheated on his wife multiple times, divorced her publicly, uh, left the church and has since begun teaching again. So he has positioned himself in such a way where he's he's treating this high profile fall as though it somehow makes him more credible as a gospel preacher. But he's never actually submitted to the discipline of the church. So I wanted to take some time to reflect on, like, what should we do? about Tulian's books? What should we do when someone like Tulian starts to write again or starts to guest preach at churches again? How do we react to that?
0: And that's why this is a really helpful conversation, because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding or maybe just a lack of awareness or knowledge about how the scriptures instruct us to handle those types of situations. And if you go online or you speak even casually with different people that you might know, you're going to find a lot of different opinions. And sometimes those opinions are more informed by I would say just our general sense of wanting to be empathetic than they are by understanding how God would have us to bring those who have fallen back into the fold, or for that matter, sometimes the things that we do have such grave consequences that they're irrevocable in terms of our leadership responsibilities. Right. But I think we're often hesitant to go there. And then, of course, once you smuggle in or bring in some other kinds of different theological perspectives, like antinomianism, for instance, in Tullian's case, you can get to all kinds of additional layers of trouble. Because you basically can use your mistakes as a way to prove that you are more equipped now than ever to preach the gospel. And yet we don't always find that perspective comported with, comports with the scriptures. Yeah. So this is good and timely, and everybody should have some kind of concept of a theological construct that helps us understand church discipline. Because even if you haven't seen it or you haven't been a part of it, it doesn't mean that the church shouldn't be actively participating in it. And then for that matter, you any person as somebody who is consuming material or is listening to leaders or is subscribing to certain types of preaching or resources, we need to understand what should be our appropriate interaction with those who have either undergone church discipline are undergoing it or should undergo it. Yeah.
1: And just to sort of underscore, you know, sometimes people think of this as sort of like an auxiliary thing. That's not really that important, but the West, the Westminster confession of faith is 31 chapters long. And, um, 31 33 my brain just totally lost me it's around 30 chapters long 33 um, 33 chapters long and they devote an entire chapter to church censures or church discipline so we're going to work through this chapter a little bit um we're not going to spend hardly any time on these first two articles so i'm just going to read them and we'll offer a few you know thoughts and then we'll move on to the next part of it but uh, chapter 30 um Article one says the Lord Jesus Christ as king and head of his church hath therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers distinct from the civil magistrate. Uh, Article two says to these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed by virtue whereof they have power respectively to retain and remit sins to shut that kingdom against the impenitent both by the word and censures, and to open it in, unto penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel and by the absolution from censures, uh, as occasion shall require. So basically what that what that's saying, it's a, a lot of words, but if you boil it all down, what it's saying is that the church has the authority by the word of scripture to um, to identify who is a part of the kingdom and who is not. So they shut the kingdom against the impenitent, by proclaiming the law and and declaring that people who are apart from Christ have no forgiveness of sin and are not part of his kingdom, and conversely, they have the power to remit sin by opening the kingdom to penitent sinners, by proclaiming the forgiveness of sin and the right. salvation and sanctification of the saints. so that's that's in contrast to Rome's perspective, where there's a whole actual ontological remission of sin that's going on. Um, the Westminster is not saying that the church is the actual uh, forgiving agent of sin, but is the one that proclaims and declares that forgiveness and thus opens and shuts the kingdom by means of the proclamation of the gospel. So do, what? have you ever experienced um, church discipline in, in seeing it done uh, with someone else or um, having it done to you, I guess? I guess. I don't know. I, I wouldn't think you have. <laughs> I, I thought that's what you were asking me. <laughs> what What's your experience with church discipline in whatever, whatever way that, that has happened?
0: i think probably like the majority of people it's pretty light i don't know that i've ever seen it well that's not true actually i have seen it exercised and in a way that i would say basically follows what we just spoke about here and it you know we're talking about something that's very serious so it always when i've seen it administered it goes in those going into it are doing so with a really heavy heart there's a burden here but they when i've seen it administered in the past I've seen these wonderful leaders who take seriously this responsibility. I mean, you and I have spoken about all kinds of things in terms of apostasy and the reprobate. And basically what we're saying here is that, or what the divines are articulating really, really well, is that the scriptures through Jesus Christ, who is the king, head of all this church, has appointed a hierarchy that shouldn't just passively administer this, but actively does. Right. Reaches into the congregation and addresses when there are serious uh, need serious faults. And so that that's basically what I've seen is that loving people coming to the office of the church, coming to those who are in the congregation and saying, this is a problem and we see it in your life and we're going to go about it by way of the scriptures. And so I think this can be done in a very loving way. In fact, I mean, in some ways, discipline is among the most loving things that you can do to somebody that you truly respect and want to see healed. And that's basically what we're talking about. I mean, what's your experience with having seen this done?
1: Um, I mean I've I've been in churches, the one that I'm at now with, with um dad, where church discipline has been um administered up to and including um I mean, excommunication is, is sometimes not the right word, but being, you know, telling someone we're sorry, but you are no longer a member of this church. You know, you're no longer welcome to come here. Um, so that's happened here. Um, that's happened. I've seen that happen in other churches. And you're right; it's a it's a very heavy, grave um, responsibility that the church has to do and and it's executed primarily through the officers of the church. But the whole church, um, you know, depending on what ecclesiastical polity you hold to the whole church is a participant in that discipline action right so the the officers um, execute it but the whole church has to participate in that there are things that Christians are called to outside of the context of the local church that are our, our behavior and our interactions with those people um, have to change outside of our, our gathered worship on Sunday as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I, I I agree with you. It's a, it's a difficult and kind of a grave thing, but I I like to say, and this is, you know, I maybe, I don't know what it is. I like pithy statements more than I used to, but I I like to remember that the, the root for discipline is is the same root as discipleship. Right. So, exactly. so ultimately the goal of church discipline or really any discipline, but the goal of church discipline is discipleship. It's to call back the wayward brother and to have them grow with further in holiness as a result of it. So um, do you have the, do you have chapter 30 up in front of you?
0: I do. Can I say something about that though? Yeah, Cause that's ahead. a really good point. I think what sometimes happens is that especially if a church is going through some kind of serious discipline? And like I said, often that happens first at the leadership level, and then that kind of gets communicated sometimes down. And it requires the participation of all of the covenant people in that particular body of yeah. Christ. And what makes it difficult is that sometimes there's a failure to distinguish between punishment and discipline. Right. And punishment is designed to execute some kind of retribution for a wrong done, discipline is designed to encourage the restoration. Of the one involved in the wrongdoing right so where punishment is designed to primarily avenge a wrong or sometimes assert justice discipline is designed to primarily as a corrective for the one who has failed to live according to the godly standards that are part of the community so this is like a family affair right it's not just to somehow kind of make somebody feel sorry for what they've done so to awaken people to their sin and we all need that to some extent or another but this is so serious in the way that Christ has set the standard for the covenant people, that we need to take this seriously both at the individual level and at the corporate level. And so, that's why I think it's important that all churches and all people who go to churches understand what it means to be disciplined and what would evoke discipline in their own lives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, do you want to read – why don't you read Article 3 of Chapter 30 of the
0: Westminster? I would love to. I'm not sure why you didn't ask me to do that sooner. <laughs> so, the t- Article 3 reads, Church censors are necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren, for deterring of others from the like offenses, for purging out of that leaven which might infect the whole lump, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel, and for preventing the wrath of God which might justly fall upon the church if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by by notorious and obstinate offenders. Wow, that is really well said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the the confession is laying out the various reasons why the church may apply some sort of censure. And this is, um, we'll see in article four here, this is up to and including excommunication. So excommunication, um, we need to consider separately from any other church censures because excommunication makes a very particular statement that other forms of church discipline don't. But what, um, other than sort of the formal Matthew eighteen discipline process, which we're going to get into, but other than that, what what do you think of when you think of church discipline? Like, what's that look like?
0: Like, like in terms of its like practical kind of yeah. outworkings? Yeah. So, I mean, that's tough because I think that this is where we tend to fall down is we don't really know what it looks like except for excommunication. Like, we tend to go from zero to sixty, like just jump from well, all discipline means you're getting cut off, right? And so what I think kind of we can draw out of this is that part of, I like what you said before, basically discipline is discipleship. And so there's always going to be a time when all of us need to be confronted in, I, best, I guess the best way I can say it is like small or minor ways right? in which we are making sure somebody's coming alongside us to say, you were dishonoring Christ or you're dishonoring the body of Christ or the way that you're living is really storing up wrath under God's mighty and uh, deserving justice. So I think part of what this looks like is that from time to time, we need to be confronted and our church leaders and our elders should have the ability and should be doing that in our lives when they see us going astray. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I can remember a time. um, I think it's interesting because if you ever ask someone, have you ever been under church discipline? You're right. Most people think they go, their mind goes straight to like getting kicked out of the church, but church discipline is so much broader than that, um, and in some ways, it's almost more casual than that. Yes. I remember um, when I was in this big mega church in Minneapolis that I've mentioned several times. We orig- we had this morning service that was kind of it started off as kind of a youth service, and then it just kind of became like sort of like the contemporary service. And we had a service at what we were a multi-site campus. We had a service at one location and we had a second service at another location. And the decision was made for a bunch of reasons to combine those into one large service at the second campus. And I was really frustrated about this for reasons I can't even really explain at this point. Um, I was, I think I just didn't want to change. I liked the things the way they were. And so I was complaining about it to a lot of people. Um, and at one point the pastor actually just pulled me aside and he said, look, this is going to happen and you're going to get on board or you're not. But right now what you're doing is not okay. You're being divisive. And the scriptures tell us that we should not, we should warn you once, we should warn you twice, and then we should have nothing to do with you. Not have nothing to do with a divisive person. And he was of course, quoting the passage out of Titus that says that. And, um, that really just knocked me on my butt. Because I had never even thought about it in such a way. And he wasn't threatening me. He wasn't saying anything. He was just telling me, look, what you're doing is not right. And there are going to be consequences that happen if you don't stop. And so we want you to stop because we don't want you to face those consequences. And and in that case, for me, it was sufficient to get me back on track to realize, man, I really am being divisive. I need to get on board with what's going on here. Um, but it can be something as small as a, a conversation like that. That wasn't a formal conversation. He didn't call me into his office. He didn't bring a bunch of you know paperwork and witnesses, and, and it wasn't a trial. It was a conversation that he, we had in the hall after church one day, and that was church discipline. So... I want people to sort of get out of this idea that like church discipline is just, it's just when people get like held back from the Lord's table, or it's just when people right. get uh, kicked out of the church. Um, sometimes it's as as straightforward as, look, I'm going to call you every night and ask you how you're doing. And you're going to be honest with me, and if i if I get the impression that you're not being honest with me, then we're gonna to have to change that arrangement. That's church discipline. Um you know, I remember when Tulian when everything happened with tulian and i was I was commenting that he was now under the discipline of a new church, I remember that mom looked at me because I was talking to her about it, and she looked at me and she said, "Well, what does that mean like what what's that actually mean?" And I said, uh, "I guess I don't know and you right. know I've talked to the pastor of that church and and he and I have actually built kind of a friendship since that happened and and you know at the time the discipline was really just kind of more frequent check-ins there were certain things he wasn't allowed to do in the church he wasn't allowed to be alone with women he wasn't allowed to be like involved in ministry that had a lot of women involved there was all sorts of practical like boundaries that were established for him that it came out later. He he just ignored all of that. He didn't want to have any discipline. But that right. was what was put in place was these sort of hedges to say, first we need to make sure that you're not harming other people anymore, and we also need to make sure that like you're not being exposed to situations that you can you can indulge
0: in your sin. Right. I don't want to fanboy the confessions too much, but I'm going to what Article Three in Chapter Thirty does so well of explaining is exactly what you said. This is it's both broad and pointed. Right. So this idea of deterring others from like offenses—that is like its whole own thing—and that can encompass all kinds of conversation and behavior. It can happen in a small group, but basically, what we're kind of saying, I think, is when you are in the covenant community of the people of God, you basically signed off on the fact of saying, "I am willing to be corrected and to be disciplined, right. to be guided and to be coached, to be told that I'm wrong, and I don't need to ask for that." If if my pastor comes to me and says, pulls me aside and says you know, you're really just in the wrong here, or you have a blind spot that you do not see, and there's a gap here in your behavior that really needs to be addressed. We're basically signing up to say, I'm going to receive that, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to process it, and I'm going to work on changing my behavior by the power of the Holy Spirit. But even just being open to that can be a difficult thing. And there have been times in my life, even some recently, where I've thought, you know, I have strong opinions about certain things. One of those is in worship and music through worship. And I've, I've had some correction of people saying to me, you know, the way that you're thinking about this particular thing is not entirely correct. It's a little bit insensitive, right? Or it's really not honoring to God in the way that you think it is. Your zealousness is really not appropriate here. And you're right. When somebody does that to you, and especially when somebody does it to you, whom you love and respect, you know that they're not trying to come at you. Right. They're just trying to say, you may be again in the wrong here and you need to understand and be introspective about this and process this putting everything through the sieve of the scriptures that is in the end a tremendously helpful thing and it really takes a brave and strong leader with with great fidelity to the scriptures to do that so it's not like church discipline is particularly fun for anybody involved but it is the thing that god calls us to and what this article gets correct is it's focusing on the holiness of god and the holiness that the people of god should have because that is in fact what he commanded and in point of fact if we don't take this article seriously this is the very thing without church discipline this is what gives every non-believer who says all christians are hypocrites this is what gives them the ground to stand on exactly take this away it's the exact thing we're basically saying yeah you're right because in our family, we'll just do whatever we want. We'll say a bunch of things, but we don't have to believe what we say. We just have to say those things. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's, I think that's exactly right. So I'm just going to read um, Article 4. We, we don't need to talk much about it. It's pretty straightforward. It just says, For the better attaining of these ends, which is just all the things we previously talked about, the officers of the church are to proceed by admonition, uh, suspension from the sacraments of the Lord's supper for a season and by excommunication from the church, according to the nature of the crime and demerit of the person. So all all that that's saying is these are, these are some of the practical steps that the church is to engage in. And it's the, the, the punishment or the discipline is to be commensurate to the nature of the crime and the demerit of the person, right? Right. An individual who, um, skips church for a couple of weeks because they want to, sleep in, um, we probably don't jump straight to excommunication from that, but someone who commits adultery on their spouse and and thinks that it's perfectly fine. We may skip everything and just go straight to excommunication. Um, you know, Paul talks about that. We'll we'll read the passage later, but Paul talks about that first Corinthians five, right? Paul doesn't, doesn't say like, well, did anybody go to this guy privately because he's sleeping with his, his father's wife? Well, did you bring some witnesses? You know, he just says, get that guy out of there and don't associate with him. anymore. So depending on the, um, depending on the context of it, and we'll, we'll unpack, we're going to go through Matthew 18 in some detail, but depending on the context of the sin, the gravity of the sin and, um, the, the demerit of the person, which has to do with kind of the, how, like, how, how much has this person done? is this a pattern of behavior? Is this a a one-time offense? Is this out of character? Is this in character for the person? The church is to exercise prudence in how it applies these uh, these different consequences.
0: And that's another thing that I think sometimes is difficult to really understand because we want to say at at some level, well, in God's eyes, sin is sin, no matter how small or how big. And we would say, of course, that's true. And yet, because what we're talking about is God saying, I'm entrusting the church with this authority and responsibility to carry out discipline and so as it is essential aspect of discipleship discipline's purpose is always to help and heal and restore so it's i almost think the best way i for me to kind of conceptualize this idea based on what you said about almost the punishment fitting the crime in a sense is that if we're talking about healing then by continuing that metaphor out and speaking of sicknesses a dealing with a cold is different than dealing with cancer right and so there is a real need that God has, has said is in the church for there to be a commensurate response, because basically sin is like a, a, is a term- tremendous and terrible disease, but it progresses at various levels of magnitude and at various speeds. Right. And you're right. Something like adultery is very different than, let's say, gossip. They are both sins, for sure, but it requires a different magnitude of treatment, so to speak, and that's what God still says. Well, you've got to take that seriously. And right. you've got to have some sensitivity to the magnitude of what's going on here. That's totally appropriate. So, And, and this is not, by the way, the church being entrusted by God with the responsibility of executing judgment on Aaron's saints. I mean, vengeance is the Lord's, and that's clear. Right. But there is, there is an emphasis on some kind of restorative medicine, so to speak. And that must be commensurate with the seriousness of of the sickness. Yeah.
1: So, why don't we go ahead and just dive right into Matthew 18? So, let's do it. Um starting in verse 15 and we're going to read um I'm going to read through verse 22. Usually it gets cut off on verse 20, but I'm going to go through 22 cuz I think it ties in. Um it says, "If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother." If he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two, or, uh, two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So um, this passage is um, sometimes applied too broadly. So a lot of times this gets, um, you know, like uh, this happened to me uh, recently where I wrote an article for my blog about Bruce Ware and uh, EFS, right? It's a, a public theologian. I'm publicly criticizing public published views that he has made. And I got an email from someone that said more or less, well, did you go to him privately or are you circumventing Matthew? Uh, 18. Well, the, the point of Matthew 18 is this is a discussion about how to handle interpersonal sins between you and another person. So, so the, the pattern is very straightforward. You go to that person directly and you have a discussion with them. If they won't Uh, if they won't listen to you, then you bring witnesses. Now, the point of these witnesses, sometimes this gets painted as like the point of these witnesses is to act as a mediator in case, you know, maybe you're in the wrong and you just don't see it. But the point of these witnesses, according to this passage, is to establish the veracity of your charge against them. So this is legal language. You are bringing these people Preferably I think it doesn't say this but in my experience it's it's preferable to take people who have experienced firsthand the sin that you're talking about either they've seen it or they've been subject to it or whatever you yes. bring them with you because you need witnesses if if in the presence of witnesses they still refuse to listen then you bring it to the church there's no there's no you know I suppose it doesn't have to go directly to that. You could go back to them a couple times. But there shouldn't be this endless accumulation of additional witnesses, right? You don't you don't go gather more people until all of a sudden you've got twenty people coming to serve as witnesses. You know, maybe you go back a couple times and you try to reason with them, but then you bring it to the church and specifically to the elders of the church. And then this gets brought before the whole church. And if at this point still the person refuses to listen, refuses to repent. The church proclaims them outside of the visible church. The church recognizes that they are in a state where the church does not believe them to be Christians, does not believe them to be members of the invisible church. And so they signify that by, by expelling them from the visible church. And so that's where we get to verse 19, where it says, if two of you agree on earth, it will be done. If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And this isn't, um, you know, I used to joke that like, this isn't, this isn't about like that youth group girl who is praying with her three friends that, that Jimmy will ask her to the prom. Right? That's not what this is talking about. This is saying that when the church follows the proper procedures and identifies someone as not a part of the invisible church and therefore declares them to be not a part of the visible church, Jesus Christ is there among the the officers of the church confirming their verdict. Right, right. That's the key part is that this is a legal statement that the church legally says, I, we as the officers of the church are exercising the power of the keys to close off the kingdom to the impenitent. And you have demonstrated your impenitent. So this is very important because we we often um, see people who this happens to, they get closed off from the church, but then Christians um, don't act any different around them outside of the walls, the physical walls of the church, right? My, my buddy got kicked out of the church, but we're still going to go to the movies on Friday. Well you shouldn't do that. Like you shouldn't act as though there's nothing going on because there clearly is something going on. But this is where I think 21 and 22 come in. Peter brings this and says, so how many times do I forgive him? So he, I think Peter has in mind, he goes to the person, the person goes, yeah, my bad. Sorry about that. I'm going to work really hard to change. How many times does Peter have to go to that person? and do that until he can say forget it i'm not going to do this process anymore. And Jesus' answer is basically there is no limit to the number of times. Right? The 70 right. times 7 thing. That's that's a that's figurative language to say like infinity. You you do it until it's no longer necessary. Tick-tock, it right. don't stop. Exactly. So I think that this is a really key passage for Christians to really understand. And and my understanding of this has been really shaped with some of the work that I did when I was writing about what was going on with Tullian. So it's possible that I have a little bit of a firmer stance on this, but I, I don't think so. This is kind of a the historic understanding of what this passage means.
0: I think everything you said is fair. I mean, by the way, I don't know if I've said this to you before, but verse 20 that is like my pet peeve for how that verse gets used regularly and what's amazing about that verse is it really shows you the intensity of what's being talked about here that god gives like a special promise to those who are trying to administer justice that basically uh, the presence of jesus will be in their midst as they go through this time that's a special and particular promise it's not just like well If you can only get together two or three people for a prayer meeting, you're still going to have a good, productive, efficacious prayer meeting. It's not that at all. It actually really cheapens what's going on here. And we see in this passage, you're right, all this legal language, but this really lovely and I think very gracious escalation, because what mostly happens is people basically go straight to their pastor or their elders and turn a a situation that is of personal sin into gossip, basically. Yeah. And so there is this progression that God has given us because most of the time, if you do church discipline correctly, you're going to get caught in the middle and everything is going to be okay because yep. there's going to be an actual repentance, a desire to work on that behavior. And so by the time we get toward the, the middle of that passage, we are talking about somebody as the, in the words of the confession, that is truly impenitent, right. that really is so stiff necked and stubborn on this issue. Not just to say maybe that... They don't agree with this person's opinion of what they've done but they don't even think they're wrong that there's no reason to say that you know the sin that you're calling out is sin at all yeah or that god would allow that type of thing that he makes provision for some type of sin so that's what we're talking about here this is a very serious charge and yet at the same time there is room for forgiveness when that forgiveness is accompanied by genuine contrition and repentance that is true repentance a turning of 180 degrees right but This means if we follow through with this whole thing, you're right, our behavior has to change. And that's where it's difficult because if we are friendly with those who are receiving like the sternest form of church discipline, which would be separation from the visible church, we don't often think or don't often know about how we relate with that person then. Like, what does it look like? Because if they want to hang out still or they want to talk about that, but they're not repentant or I see them in the store, do I say hello? Do I go and talk to them? Do I just pretend like they don't exist? Right. I mean, wh- where are the lines on that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. And, and this, is where, um, this is where the passage is really important. Right. It's this is key in the middle. It says if he refuses to listen, listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And, and that's language that's getting around the idea of let, let him be to you as someone who is not a member of the, the household of faith. And this is where it's important. How do we treat people who are not members of the household of faith? we're kind. We love our, we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us and we preach the law and the gospel to them. So maybe it's not okay. But when I go out for lunch with my buddy from, uh, from church, I, I don't preach the gospel to him every time I see him. Right. I don't, I don't consider those to be witnessing opportunities. Now we have mutually edifying discussions. We're talking about the things of the Lord, but those are not evangelism opportunities. Now, if my buddy gets kicked out of his church because he's he's discovered to have been cheating on his wife and he thinks that's perfectly fine, well, I may still, we'll get into it later, I may still engage in social activities with him, but these are now evangelistic opportunities. Right. And usually in those cases, it has to do with, with discussing and identifying the specific sin that they have failed to repent of and calling them to repentance of that. So in such a situation like that, my buddy calls me and says I really want to go out for lunch with you. I'm just having a really tough time. I just need to have I just need to have some contact with people that I care about me. Okay, I'll go out for lunch with you, but here's the deal. We are not going to pretend like this thing didn't happen, and we're going to talk about it. Those are the conditions. If you want to go out for lunch, great. I want to go out for lunch with you, but this is the condition. We're going to talk about your sin and we're going to we're going to come to a resolution. If you're not on board for that, if all you're looking for is for me to pat you on the back and commiserate about how frustrating this is, I'm out, I'm out. That's not going to happen. So we have to draw boundaries. And this is where it frustrates me the most is as Christians, we don't have the liberty to ignore direct teaching and instructions from the Lord Jesus Christ. And people so often, especially with some of these like celebrity pastors, they just, they absolutely pretend that this passage is not in the Bible or that it's, it's somehow unclear about what we're supposed to be doing here. And I actually think that this This sequence of church discipline up to including treating them like they're no longer Christians and and considering them as no longer Christians is one of the most clear things that I see in the scriptures. It's all over the place. In in the Old Testament, when someone commits certain sins, you cast them out and they're cut off from their people. Well, Paul in the New Testament is is treating that in a different way slightly. but. In essence, Paul and Jesus are saying, if someone commits grave sin or refuses to repent, you cut them off and they are no longer part of God's people. You're to treat them as such. You know, they weren't um, they weren't like smuggling out Passover lambs into the, the camp where the people who were cut off were to have have Passover with them. Right. Those people were considered to be cursed and separate from the covenant community of God. And in the New Testament, that part hasn't changed. The people who right. are, are, are cut off or excommunicated from the church, it, it's not just a Christian who's been disbarred from his, his membership. Um, and I want to get into membership in a minute here. But this is just really important for us to land because we're constantly being bombarded with these former uh, reformed celebrity pastors. Right. I still get Mark Driscoll emails once in a while, and I still see people link to Mark Driscoll sermons online, like in an approving fashion, even though some of these sermons are way off base. Like his theology has gotten a little crazy since he left Mars Hill beyond his behavior issues. But the fact that they're even listening to these for the purpose of edification means that they're not treating them like a Gentile or tax collector. They're not right. listening to Mark Driscoll as a motivational speaker who communicates well. They're listening to him because he's preaching the word of God in their minds, but he is not qualified to do so. He's not, co- he's not competent. He's not qualified. And in fact, the scriptures forbid him from doing that publicly. So we have to land this, that it, it's not optional for us to, uh, to follow the directions Jesus gives us here.
0: That's good because there's real categories that God through Jesus Christ has established for us in terms of right living in the covenant community. So at least for me, as I understand that and as I process that through the years, what that means basically is the one who's committed the trespass has essentially on their own after you've gone through this disciplinary process and they've decided that they're not going to submit to that, they've decided by their actions and then by their non-willingness to participate in repentance, that they're not part of the covenant community. Like they're right. making that choice. Yep. I don't think we're necessarily making that choice for them. They're basically saying that, well, the way that I, I should live, that would identify me as part of this covenant community, is not the way I choose to live. And I don't feel sorry for that at all. And so we would say, well, then by your own definition, like you're obviously not part of this community. So why, right. do, we, why do we treat you like that? Why do we take extra effort? It's, it's a resetting of the relationship. So it does have to go back to this kind of gospel witness or this, really direct calling out of bad behavior and always kind of circling around that that you're right that should be kind of the emphasis of our interaction is that going to be awkward yeah i guess sometimes it will be yeah but that doesn't mean that's not the most healthy thing you know like sometimes medicine tastes awful it doesn't mean that it, it prevents from healing you because it is uncomfortable. Yeah.
1: And, and I want to talk a little bit about church membership. So we did an episode on church membership, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, the definitive
0: episode on church membership.
1: Sure. Um, so we, we did the episode <laughs> on church membership. And one of the points that we made is that this passage um, is absolutely unintelligible apart from formal documented church membership. So we go back and listen. We made the argument that there are all sorts of sort of fingerprints of basically what we consider church membership, including membership roles all throughout the new Testament. Um, but this passage makes zero sense apart from church discipline and something that, um, I picked up on when, um, I was writing about Tulian that I think is really important is the very practice of having church membership roles. That is a, a formal list of people that are under the discipline of this particular body of elders is patterned after the book of life in the, in the book of revelation. So in revelation, um, chapter 20, verse 11, he says, I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according a uh, by what is written in the book, according to what they had done. So the, the point of this is that in heaven, God's, God's total number of elect, His elect people are recorded in a book and their their name is enrolled in membership in the kingdom of heaven. And so the church membership roles on earth are designed to reflect that. And, and It's not the case that if you're not a member of a church, that somehow you're automatically condemned. But it is the case that the point of having your name listed on the membership roll is to identify yourself as part of the visible church. And in doing so, stake a claim that you are also identified as a member of the invisible church. So not only is it unintelligible in Matthew 18 if church membership doesn't exist because it says bring it to the church. Well, which church? right if if you're just some random guy and and you're you go to a different church every sunday then how do i know which elders to contact if you've sinned against me and i've run into this online right i do a lot of work online there are times that there have been multiple yeah, times do. that i have had to go to someone's leadership and by and large, that's proved to be an extremely fruitful venture. There's more than one person that I've had serious conflict online that I could make no headway with until I had contacted their elders, and then we had reconciliation and that person came to repentance. But had had they not been a member in a church, there were times that I wrote and and the pastor wrote back and said, yeah, I know this guy. He's come to my church a couple times and I'll be happy to talk to him, but he's not a member here, so I don't know how much I can help. Right? There's no formal discipline that you're, a church that you're not a member at can do because there's no consequences if you just, you just leave one day and, and there was no actual signs that you were there. So not only is that aspect of it necessary for Matthew 18 to make sense, but the idea of casting them out of the church and treating them as though they were not a part of your church, that requires the action of removing them from your membership roles. So we have to right. take that seriously. and we ha- Because of that, we have to take church membership seriously.
0: That's really well said. And because we know that there will be people who come into membership that are not truly regenerate. This is where, as we talked about before, in terms of apostasy, this is the very type of behavior that allows, particularly again, like the officers of the church to essentially, and we may not like this word, but purge the church from those that are not true, shouldn't truly be part of the visible church. Right, exactly. So this is like, it's two sides of the same coin. It's the discipline that allows all of us To make sure that we are truly being accountable and membership is a thing that you basically come forward and say i'm all in on this thing called the christian life like i want to put my money where my mouth is and so i'm willing to undergo all kinds of discipleship including the stuff where somebody needs to confront me because of sin and i'm willing to listen and if by your actions we're not willing to listen Then we clearly don't belong as part of the visible or the invisible church because those are just prerequisites by that definition. Right. So this to me seems almost like a very natural thing, which is why I think Paul goes into it as he's he's basically giving instructions to churches. So you're right. This is super clear, and we really just need to get on board with what it actually means, rather than trying to do all these like linguistic or theological distractions or gymnastics, try to weasel our way out of it, or feel comfortable with those whom we know, like Tullian is a good example, Mark Driscoll is a good example, who clearly, as, as they presented it, did not undergo the type of thing that we've been talking about here. Right. And so we need to be careful with how we, we interact. So maybe like as we kind of close, because those are good examples, how do you see it that we should interact with those people? Let's say we don't want to go to their churches. We just know them kind of by cult of personality or through online. What is the way that the average Christian should interact with them if they're understanding what we've been talking about in Matthew 18 properly?
1: Yeah. So just before we do that, I just want to um, briefly explain why it is we can say that Tulian and Mark are not repentant because the other yeah let's
0: let's talk about the that. other
1: element of this is that um, we are given certain ways to assess whether a person is truly repentant. Right? Saying I'm sorry that happened, whatever, e- even saying a genuine apology is a great indication of repentance. But unless it's accompanied by certain concrete things, we know that that genuine repentance hasn't happened. So Mark Driscoll was um, confronted by many people in his church and formal charges were filed with his elders. They um, suspended him from preaching for a time to do an investigation. And when they came out with the results of the investigation, they said, yes, Mark is guilty of these offenses Um, We don't have to get into the details, but he's guilty of these offenses. And so our plan is to undergo a season of discipline in which he's not being paid. He's not uh, preaching from the pulpit and he doesn't engage in other leadership activities. And after such a time, we'll reevaluate. And our hope is that he'll be restored to preaching. And Mark said, no, thank you. And literally the following week, he was speaking at a conference Um, Talking about how he, he, you know, was was really freed by the Holy Spirit to to leave Mars Hill. you know less than a year later he was already talking about starting a new church and less than a year later he had already started a new church um and in the meantime the very next weekend he began administering the lord's supper and preaching in his home and it wasn't just for his family other mem- other people from from the community were coming so he essentially established a new church in his home the week after he was excommunicated from his basically so it's absolutely undeniable that mark driscoll was was put under church discipline and he said no thank you um tulian chavidian um, after he um, publicly confessed his sin um, and was deposed from his credentials to preach the gospel, he um, was offered a chance to uh, go to a church called Willow Creek, not the Willow Creek, but a different Willow Creek in Florida. Um, and having spoken with the pastor there and, and got, getting to know him quite well over the last couple of years, um, basically Tulian showed up and then it came out that he had committed other affairs that he hadn't confessed. And then he disappeared for a year he, he, nobody knew where he was. And then all of a sudden he showed up and was getting remarried. So Tulian also basically said, no, thank you. When he was put under church discipline. Um, so both of these men were put under church discipline and they opted out of that process and opting out of church discipline is the same thing as opting out of the church itself. Right. So as far as these, these guys and other similar figures are concerned, I think, um, and this may seem extreme we don't read their books. We don't buy their books. Uh, we don't listen to their sermons. We don't go to see them speak. Um, there's a place for, um, someone, I would say someone like myself, particularly with Tulian. I follow him quite closely and people have asked me to do that. Um, there, there is a place for me or for others who are doing similar kind of work to invest time and energy reading, reading what's being written by him. I keep up with his blog. Um when he goes and shares something somewhere i I listen to it and when when I think it's necessary, I'll make a comment on that because. Tulian Tavidian is the definition of a wolf in sheep's clothing. He covers himself in the, uh, the outward appearance of Christianity. He talks a lot about repentance and God's grace, but he exhibits none of that in his life. So if, if you're listening to Tulian Tavidian or if you're listening to Mark Driscoll for edification, because you think they're good Christian teachers, then you are in violation of the principles laid out in Matthew 18. So I think with someone like this, um, you know, we, we don't listen to their sermons, we don't, we don't buy their books, we don't attend conferences. Um, if we see them out somewhere, you know, we don't take a selfie with them because, oh, it's Mark Driscoll. Um, we, we have to not only cut ourselves off from, uh, from their teaching, but we also sometimes we have to cut ourselves off from them. Right. I, when not this all broke with Tulian, I was actually interacting with him privately through Twitter and we had agreed to set up a time to discuss things on the phone. And when this all broke again, working with my pastor, we decided this wasn't the right time. He's clearly not repentant. And so we can't have this conversation. Now I still pray for Tulian and hope someday that we can have that conversation. Um, I still pray for Mark Driscoll every day and, and I hope someday he comes to genuine repentance. Um, but as it stands, we cannot treat these guys like they're just Christians who have some faults, right? We aren't given that liberty because Jesus tells us right. not to do that. This isn't this isn't me or Jesse being mean or or making statements or being judgmental. This is us taking the clear directions of Jesus Christ and applying them to a situation where someone is clearly not repentant. Um now, as far another question that comes up sometimes and has come up quite a few times with this desertia thing is what do we do about the teaching that they've already had? What do we do about the sermons that we maybe have on our flash drives or our phones that we are encouraged by? I don't necessarily think it's a great idea to go back and spend a lot of time listening to them. Um, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Right? right. Tullian preached some good sermons. Mark Driscoll preached some great sermons that were really genuinely full of the gospel. Um I don't think it's it's necessarily a violation of this principle to go back and listen to those again and get spiritual edification from them. But the things that they produce after they have departed from the church, after they have opted out of membership in the visible church and signified thus opting out of membership in the invisible church, after that happens, we should not be gaining or seeking spiritual edification from their writings or teachings.
0: Right. I think all that is fair. I think there are probably some that are going to be listening to us and thinking that, we're just drawing too hard a line because what can be the harm of some of the things that they're saying now in terms of some of it sounds good and it's right on point. That very well may be true, but it's certainly not wise. And there is a clear line of demarcation, as you said, once they leave the church, once they're excommunicated from the church, then it is our responsibility to treat them entirely different. And even in our world where the connectedness is just digital, just online, that means that we suffer that connection right. in a real way. And that's important because God makes it important. We're, we're not setting that standard. This is the one that he's given to us that's very direct. And I think we also need to remember that these men in particular, so for instance, Mark Driscoll, who clearly was involved in a lot of different sinful, abusive behavior, the proof of the pudding in repentance is not in the granting it verbally, but is in the granting of it through action. Right. And it takes time to be healed. So for somebody like Mark, whom I don't know, but my all I can presume is that he is a complicated person like everybody else. He was going through a lot of things. He did a lot of things. He was processing things. He had, he had kind of this rubric of attitude and behavior. If anybody has ever tried to make a big change in their life, whether it's something as small and stupid as eating better or exercising more, everybody knows. That A a total change, of course, takes time. Even as the Lord works on that, he does that often through time. It doesn't happen immediately. So you can't just say, I'm really sorry. And you're right. I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to, let me just pick up in the sermon series where I left off. That's not healthy. That's not practical. And that's not the way that God would have us go through the healing process. Healing always takes time. And it's not that time does the healing. It's that time reveals how God does the healing. Yeah. And so that we need to have that separation from stuff. And sometimes, even if it's a small thing, you know, somebody might say to you, let's say like you're in the nursery, but you're like, you're clearly getting annoyed at the kids and like, you're like slapping food out of their hands and yelling at them all the time. Somebody's going to rightfully say to you, listen, that's not appropriate loving behavior for right. the family of Christ, especially not for those whom you're supposed to be, you know, looking over. You clearly need to step away now to be like, no, 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 it's totally fine. I've got it under control. It's probably not healthy. sadly, right. for you. It's not healthy for the ministry that you're trying to serve in. So I don't think it's out of bounds to say the need time away, especially for men in that kind of role who are being designated as under shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, right. can, I don't know. Can we make this seem any more serious than it actually is? Like, I, I don't is think we really can. It is a really big deal.
1: Yeah. It's a really big deal. Yeah. And, and we'll close with this because we're already over our time and we, we just want to wrap up. But sometimes I get asked, what, what would repentance look like for someone like Mark Driscoll? Or, or sure. That's a it? fair question. Um, for Mark Driscoll, repentance would look like not being a pastor anymore. That's the first step: Resign from your church, shut the doors down and seek actual discipline as a member of a local church. Now, Mark can't go back to Mars Hill and seek discipline there because Mars Hill was in dire financial straits when he left and he took a giant severance package, which I'm sure didn't help. But there are concrete individuals by name who he has sinned against um the elders of that church there are people that that we have documentation of terrible terrible things that he said to and about people at that church so publicly finding ways to reconcile with those people um privately too if, if it's appropriate but some of those things were said publicly and so they should be reconciled publicly um tulian Tavidian, i will real concretely say pastor kevin labby uh at uh, willow creek put his neck out on the line for Tullian. And he took a lot of heat, some of it from me, right? He took a lot of heat from me publicly. And I've talked with him and and he has admitted to me that a lot of what I said and a lot of the criticism I had of him in terms of the wisdom that was represented in that decision are are pretty legitimate criticisms. But Kevin Leiby took a lot of risk. In doing what he did for Tulian to try to call a wayward person back. And Tulian spit in his face about it and made him look like an idiot. And I can tell you for 100% certainty. Unless something has changed since the last time I talked to Pastor Labby. um, He has not talked to him since he left that church. He has not said one word. Not an email. Not a phone call. Not a text message. Since he left that church. So step one for Tulian. Reach out to Kevin. Kevin. Seek reconciliation with a man that you hurt very deeply. Then things like reconcile with the congregation that also stuck its neck out for you. Reconcile with the congregation that you left in shambles when you cheated on your wife. Reconcile with your wife. Reconcile with your children. All of these things that Tulian has not done that at a minimum he needs to do. Don't even talk to me about Tuli and being repentant until I see that he's at least tried to reach out to some of these people. He hasn't even made an effort. He hasn't even made a phone call in most of these cases. So I I think it's really clear in those cases that that repentance hasn't happened. And and in most right. cases, um, you know, we were going to go into um, Galatians. It says those who are spiritually mature should restore those who who have trespassed with gentleness. In most cases. People who are spiritually mature can see pretty clearly when someone is genuinely repentant. Yes, Um, for sure. There's a clear change of behavior. There's a clear recognition of sin. People don't make excuses. It's not, I'm sorry, but it's not, I'm sorry that you felt that way. I'm sorry that you were offended. It's contrition. We can see it. In those cases, just like Jesus says, 77 times seven, guys, we don't ever stop forgiving. We don't ever stop restoring. We don't ever stop reconciling. But we can't restore someone who is not repentant. We can't restore someone into the fellowship of the local church who has chosen to circumvent themselves out of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Remember what the confession says. The discipline of the church is an extension of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, extended ministerial to his officers. So if you ignore the discipline of Christ's ordained officers, you are saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not my Lord anymore. That's what exactly. you're saying. And that's why this is a serious thing. So I, I don't want to belabor the point anymore. Um, uh, this is one of those episodes that I wish we could kind of like come up on a happy note, but it's just not there. So just be careful out there. Don't, don't submit yourselves to the teaching of men who are not qualified to preach the gospel.
0: And restoration doesn't always mean a full return to your previous responsibility and role. Right especially when it involves the, the job of being a pastor. Mm-hmm. And that's just the bottom line. And if you think that that is too extreme, understand that we apply that philosophy in other areas of life that are far more vain. So for instance, in my industry, which is finance, you know, when I first started out, I was a financial advisor. Every financial advisor has to be authorized by passing a certain number of tests. And part of your understanding, when you, when you pass those tests and sign on the dotted line, if you ever embezzle or steal, if you have any financial crime, automatically you are disbarred from being a financial advisor for life yep. because nobody wants to trust that person right. and nobody will. And so in a similar way, being a pastor is a very serious thing. I mean, Paul warns against basically being a teacher or a preacher for that reason. And so that's why we're taking such a hard line on it. And it is sometimes appropriate to say, you just cannot fill that role. No matter, even though we restore you you're part of the body of Christ, but the visible invisible church again, it can often mean you just can never hold that office again. Yeah. And it's it's th- that's why this episode is kind of sad because this is a very serious thing. And yet we all need discipline from time to time. So we shouldn't think, any of us, you or I or anybody else listening, that we are not at some point in our life going to be subject to, or should be for that matter, subject to legitimate discipline in whatever way we, we deserve to receive it, right. whether that's in a really formal setting or in an informal setting. So I guess basically get ready. If you haven't been disciplined... Yeah. <laughs> you probably have some coming. Uh and if you haven't been disciplined yet and you've been a Christian for a while, you're just probably lucky cuz probably somebody should have given you like the I don't know, the equivalent of like a spiritual spanking. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, it seems almost uh sacrilegious at this point to do like an announcement about like t-shirts or something like that. So, so I think we'll just close it there. Um you know the ways to you wanna, get a hold of us. You want
0: to end on me saying spiritual spanking? Oh, I
1: definitely want to end on you saying spiritually spanking. <laughs> that's all i want i don't even want to say the tagline at this point
0: oh that's great yeah
1: well i will anyways until next time honor everyone love the
0: brotherhood